Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings Chapter 6 Captain Carter was grim. So they've bought him off, have they? Go bring him in here, Greg. We'll have it out with him. Now. Snap, Dr. Frank, Balch, our first officer, and I were in the captain's chart room. It was 4 p.m. Earth time. We were 16 hours upon our voyage. I found Johnson in his office in the lounge. Captain wants to see you. Close up. He closed his window upon an American woman passenger who was demanding the details of Martian currency and followed me forward. What is it, Greg? I don't know. Captain Carter banged the slide upon us. The chart room was insulated. The hum of the current was obvious. Johnson noticed it. He stared at the hostile faces of the surgeon and Balch, and he tried to bluster. What's this? Something wrong? Carter wasted no words. We have information, Johnson, that there's some undercover plot aboard. I want to know what it is. Suppose you tell us. The purser looked blank. What do you mean? We've gamblers aboard if that's... To hell with that, growled Balch. You had a secret interview with that Martian, Set Miko, and with George Prince. Johnson scowled from under his heavy brows, and then raised them in surprise. Did I? You mean changing their money? I don't like your tone, Balch. I'm not your under-officer. But you're under me, roared the captain. By God, I'm master here. Well, I'm not disputing that, said the purser mildly. This fellow, we're in no mood for argument, Dr. Frank cut in. Clouding the issue, I won't let it be clouded, the captain exclaimed. I had never seen Carter so choleric. He added, Johnson, you've been acting suspiciously. I don't give a damn whether I've proof of it or not. Did you or did you not meet George Prince and that Martian last night? No, I did not. And I don't mind telling you, Captain Carter, that your tone also is offensive. Is it? Carter seized him. They were both big men. Johnson's heavy face went purplish red. Take your hands! They were struggling. Carter's hands were fumbling at the purser's pockets. I leapt, flung an arm around Johnson's neck, pinning it. Easy there! We've got you, Johnson! Snap tried to help me. Go on! Bang him on the head, Greg! Now's your chance! We searched him. A heat-ray cylinder, that was legitimate. But we found a small battery and eavesdropping device, similar to the one Venza had mentioned that Shaq the Gambler was carrying. What are you doing with that? the captain demanded. None of your business. Is it criminal? Carter, I'll have the line officials dismiss you for this. Take your hands off me! All of you! Look at this! exclaimed Dr. Frank. From Johnson's breast pocket, the surgeon drew a folded document. It was a scaled drawing of the planetara interior corridors, the lower control rooms, and mechanisms. It was always kept in Johnson's safe. And with it, another document. The ship's clearance papers. The secret code passwords for this voyage, to be used if we should be challenged by any interplanetary police ship. Snap gasped. My God, that was in my radio room strongbox. I'm the only one on this vessel except the captain who's entitled to know those passwords. Out of the silence, Balch demanded, Well, what about it, Johnson? The purser was still defiant. 
I won't answer your questions, Balch. At the proper time, I'll explain. Greg Haljan, you're choking me! I eased up, but I shook him. You better talk. He was exasperatingly silent. Enough! exploded Carter. He can explain when we get to port. Meanwhile, I'll put him where I'll do no more harm. Greg, lock him in the cage. We ignored his violent protestations. The cage, in the old days of sea vessels on Earth, they called it the brig, was the ship's jail. A steel-lined, windowless room, located under the deck in the peak of the bow. I dragged the struggling Johnson there, with the amazed watcher looking down from the observatory window at our lunging starlit forms. Shut up, Johnson, if you know what's good for you. He was making a fearful commotion. Behind us, where the deck narrowed at the superstructure, half a dozen passengers were gazing in surprise. I'll have you thrown out of the service, Greg Elgin! I shut him up, finally, and flung him down the ladder into the cage and sealed the deck trap door under him. I was headed back for the chart room when from the observatory came the lookout's voice. An asteroid, Haljan! Officer Blackstone wants you! I hurried to the turret bridge. An asteroid was in sight. We had nearly attained our maximum speed now. An asteroid was approaching, so dangerously close that our trajectory would have to be altered. I heard Blackstone's signal ringing in the control rooms and met Carter as he ran to the bridge with me. That scoundrel! We'll get more out of him, Greg. By God, I'll put the chemicals on him! Torture him, illegal or not! We had no time for further discussion. The asteroid was rapidly approaching. Already under the glass, it was a magnificent sight. I had never seen this tiny world before. Asteroids are not numerous between the Earth and Mars, or in toward Venus. At a speed of nearly a hundred miles a second, the asteroid swept into view. With the naked eye, at first it was a tiny speck of stardust, unnoticeable in the gem-strewn black velvet of space. A speck. Then... A gleaming dot, silver-white, with the light of our sun upon it. I stood with Carter and Blackstone on the turret bridge. It was obvious that, unless we altered our course, the asteroid would pass too close for safety. Already we were feeling its attraction. From the control rooms came the report that our trajectory was disturbed by this new mass so near. Better make your calculations now, Greg, Blackstone urged. I cast up the rough elements from the observational instruments in the turret. When I had us upon our new course, with the attractive and repulsive plates in the planetar's hull set in their altered combinations, I went to the bridge again. The asteroid hung over our bow quarter, no more than twenty or thirty thousand miles away, a giant ball now filling all that quadrant of the heavens. The configurations of its mountains its land and water areas were plainly visible. Perfectly habitable, Blackstone said. But I've searched all over the hemisphere with the glass. No sign of human life. Certainly nothing civilized. Nothing in the fashion of cities. A fair little world, by the look of it. A tiny globe, come from the region beyond Neptune. We swept past the asteroid. The passengers were all gathered to view the passing little world. I saw... Not far from me, Anita, standing with her brother, and the giant figure of Miko with them. Half an hour since this wandering little world had showed itself, it swiftly passed, began to dwindle behind us. A huge half-moon. 
a thinner, smaller quadrant. A tiny crescent, like a silver bar pin to adorn some lady's breast. And then it was a dot, a point of light, indistinguishable among the myriad others hovering in this great black void. The incident of the passing of the asteroid was over. I turned from the deck window. My heart leapt. The moment for which all day I had been subconsciously longing was at hand. Anita was sitting in a deck chair, momentarily alone. Her gaze was on me as I glanced her way, and she smiled an invitation for me to join her. End Chapter 6